Amen. We will sing of the goodness of God. That's easy to do when life is filled with goodness, right? But what about when you're suffering or you're sad or you're depressed or you're despairing or things are going wrong? That's the moment that we have to sing of the goodness of God. That's the moment we have to look beyond this world and our circumstances and think about something more. Uh, so the book of First Peter, uh, we're in that. By the way, my name's Dan Jarvis. If today's your first day, welcome. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been walking through a series on First Peter. Today is the last day of that series. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to First Peter chapter 5. We'll read that in just a moment. I wanted to review with you first a key verse from chapter 3 that helps us understand what the book is all about. Here's what it says. Even if you should suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Of course, 1 Peter was written to people that were under persecution. Now, we could probably say that anyone who's followed Jesus throughout history has faced some pushback, you know, rejection from a friend or pushback from family. But the people that Peter wrote this letter to, they were under severe persecution. Uh, their lives were being threatened. Their livelihoods were being threatened. They were facing kind of that ultimate test of when it really comes down to it, is my faith in myself? Is it in this world? Or do I believe in Jesus enough to actually take up my cross and follow him all the way into death? So to those people, Peter's writing this really encouraging book, a really dark circumstance. As we learned, the emperor Nero was in control of the Roman Empire at this time. He was unleashing all sorts of terrible tortures and persecutions against Christians from Rome now spidering out into the empire, and it kicked off a period of time that you can look at in a history book and see persecution for hundreds of years. Uh, so many believers had to give their lives in, uh, just because they believed in Jesus. Uh, they, they were not welcomed by the, the political powers that be, the cultural winds were against them, and they had to stay faithful in really difficult circumstances. So when we read First Peter, we understand we're reading instructions to those people. So we'll come back to that in just a minute, but I wanted to take a minute to celebrate something that as a church family, about a month and a half ago, we heard from one of our contacts over in the Middle East and Central Asia about a lot of persecution happening right now to Afghan Christian refugees who are either hiding in Afghanistan or in the countries surrounding Afghanistan. And so as a church family, we decided, well, let's, let's at least open up an offering to try to help sponsor some of those families so that they can find their next steps and have a path forward. And uh, so now we've closed that offering fund, and here's the total, $21,740 that you gave, yeah, praise the Lord, that you gave um, to serve some people who are right now today facing circumstances that are a lot like what those first century Christians faced that we're studying in the Bible. And uh, so thank you for that. And also, our missionary contact there, Hannah Shaheen, uh, he wrote this to us a couple days ago. He said, I'm awed at your generosity. I don't have words to express my indebtedness. On behalf of the persecuted Afghan believers and others, thank you. Uh, so that's his message to you, uh, to us as a church, for praying and for giving uh, to that fund. Thank you. Uh, that we'll never know uh, the difference that was made in the lives of a lot of people as a result of that offering. 
Um, well, maybe we will know when we get to heaven, but we won't know in this world. And uh, so those of you who gave to that, it's kind of a, a, you know, giving in faith that God is going to use that to help people um, in really, really difficult circumstances. Now, when we turn to 1 Peter, we set in motion this theme of faith no matter what with fire uh, because the people felt like they were in the fire. In fact, Peter said in chapter 1 of this letter that their faith was being tested the way that fire refines gold. The heat was turned up to maximum. And, and when the heat turns up on gold, all the dross and impurity kind of come up to the surface and can be swept away, and you're left with pure gold. And Peter said, that's the process, that's what persecution and pressure are doing in your life, in your faith. It is purifying your commitment. It, it's strengthening your faith. Now, the, the aim of persecution was to weaken the faith, Right? The aim of the, the Roman authorities that were trying to extinguish Christianity or others that were in that time that were anti-Jesus for different reasons, their goal was to discourage people from becoming Christians. But their goal was not met. In fact, it went the other direction, right? Because the more they turned up the heat, the more people were faced with this decision, are the claims of Jesus true or not? And when they faced the fact that Jesus was telling the truth, they decided to step forward and give their whole lives, if necessary, to defend that. So 1 Peter, we, we sort of framed this series in a, in a variety of questions that are being answered by uh, Peter, and today we're in the last part of that, how do I stay strong? You know, as we've studied this, we've learned about why persecution happens, how it happens. We heard about some of the terrible things that happened in that first century. We learned a little bit about what happens even still today as far as persecution is concerned. Uh, but what is it that we're supposed to do as Christian believers to stay strong regardless of the circumstances, especially if we do start to face that kind of pressure? Hey, we recognize God may have purpose for it. Uh, this is gold being refined by fire. And we say, you know, I don't know if I would sign up to be in that picture, but if God puts me in that picture, if circumstances if I wake up one day and I'm in there, then I would say, Lord, I want to stay strong in my faith. Uh, I don't want to let the persecutors win by driving me away from Jesus. Instead, I want this to help me cling to Jesus even stronger. Um, and so you say, well, that sounds good from a position of not being in the middle of the fire, but how is that going to happen? Well, let's read 1 Peter chapter 5 and find out how we can stay strong no matter what happens to us. Verse 1, and now, a word to you who are elders in the churches, I too am an elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, I too share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert 
Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. I have written this and sent this short letter to you by the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly a part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon, which was an early church code word for Rome, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. So Peter is writing to the churches of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, from the city of Rome. That's where he's based right now as he's writing. He's in the thick of it, right? He's in the hottest part of where the fire is. That's where it's coming from. Rome is the source of the persecution. The people out in the territories now are feeling this, and Peter's writing from the heart of all of it, saying, stay strong in your faith. Everywhere in the world, people are going through the same kind of thing who are trying to follow Jesus, so take heart. You're not alone in the struggle. Um, in fact, there are a lot of people with you, and even more importantly, God is with you. God is committed to support you, to strengthen you. God's bigger picture for your life is going to span way beyond this world. So even though we have to suffer for a little while, we look forward not just at our current circumstances, but we look at what God has actually invited us to be a part of. And we say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Even though I have to suffer over that right now, that suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that's coming, the glory that's ahead. So how will you and I stay strong if we face this kind of thing? And how is Peter saying that the first century church needed to stay strong. So let's kind of break this down a little bit, and we'll go back to the first few verses, and notice that it starts by talking to leaders in the church. He says, I want to appeal to you as an elder, as a fellow elder, here's the, here's the attitude you need to bring into church leadership. Now I'll confess, as one who wears one of those titles myself, I've often looked at 1 Peter 5 in kind of an American way. You know, I look at it and go, okay, there's sort of the job description for elders and pastors pretty much laid out right there, but kind of a non-emotional version of the story. But when you, when you sort of set this next to the fact that these leaders would be the prime targets of the persecution, the words jump off the page in a different way, don't they? When he says, care for the flock that's been entrusted to your care, do it willingly, not grudgingly. You just pause for a second and imagine, what would it be like to be a church leader in a persecuted environment? I mean, wouldn't you be target number one if you were an elder, small group leader, pastor, deacon? I mean, any, anything that had to do with some sort of visible leadership of a, of a Christian community, you would be the target of the persecution, and so it would be easy in that situation to either quit or kind of you know, shrink back and just think about yourself and maybe even say, I wish I never would have taken this calling and start 
you know, having kind of a grudge in your heart. He says, don't do this grudgingly. Do this willingly. Keep in mind the bigger picture that you're a part of. When the chief shepherd appears, verse 4, he will give you this crown of never-ending glory and honor. So we're looking for that. We're not, just, we're not looking for reward in this life. And especially if God calls you to leadership, you take this calling of what Jesus has come to do and you say, this, this is who I am and what I am. It doesn't matter what happens out in the world. So thinking of that, I've, I've looked at this text now with sort of fresh eyes, thinking about the, um, this is not just a matter of breaking down what it means to be a pastor in normal circumstances, but what it means to lead people through persecution um, I'm thinking in normal circumstances, there's lots of reasons for pastors to get discouraged or for elders to want to quit. And, you know, we could probably all guess those, right? So some of you know that really well. You've, you've played those parts before in your life, and you say, yeah, there's, there's, there's aspects of that that can be discouraging. And sometimes I am tempted to be, you know, grudging and not willing, you know, especially on the bad days. But this, doesn't it take it to a whole other level when you think about yourself being the target, the representative target? of the kingdom on earth and you know here you are leading these people and the authorities are after you in that moment that's when you cling to your calling in that moment that's when you say i have to i have to care for the flock that's entrusted to my care i can't give up this call in fact when the pressure's on i have to lean toward it not shrink away from it so the first thing that he mentions here is leadership because for a church to stay strong when the pressure's on, it's going to have to have strong leaders, right? Not strong arm leaders, he mentions that, humble leaders, leaders that actually lead by example, not by dictate, not by, not, not by some sort of force of authority, but instead they're actually leading people toward who God wants them to be and, and showing by example what that kind of life looks like says, don't lord it over in verse three, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. So that's a tough challenge. And a lot of you share in that challenge in one way or another, because I'm looking across the room right now and I can see quite a few of you that are attached in one way or another to leading things. Um, some of you have or are currently pastors or elders. Some of you are deacons. Some of you are leading Bible studies. Some of you are leading women's groups. I mean, there's like, you take any visible leadership post that you have and zoom into this and say, why am I doing it? What is the calling that I have? Um, I, I need my calling to be more than just about me and more than just about the circumstances in this life. Because if that's all it is, when the moment of pressure comes, I'll shrink away. Um, if we're going to stay strong, we need leaders who are committed at that level, the highest level. Hey, then he goes on in the next component here, verse 5, to start to talk to the general population of the church. And he encourages us to stay strong through humility. Now, when, when there are problems out there in the world, humility is not a natural reaction. Humility would be the thing that we would think of last, when we're being confronted because our flesh and our sense of justice is going to push back, right? We want to get angry and upset and stronger in what we're, what we're demanding or doing if things get difficult. But here we're called to go the other way, to literally follow in the footsteps of Jesus um, into humility. And that's how we're going to be able to stay strong um, in difficult times. See, if, if, the, if your strength is based on your strength, 
If it's based on the force of your will, it will fail under persecution. But if your strength is reliant on God, if, if in humility you're receiving his grace, then you can stand through anything because it's not in your own power that you're standing. You, you're receiving grace from God to face the challenges that are in front of you. You're not trying to do it on your own. Okay, so let's break this down and walk through it. First of all, we have to have humility in our interactions with leaders. So verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. There's a little bit of debate uh, behind the scenes here on the word younger in the verse here, because some people say it just means age, you know, like you're younger by age. Um, but other people would say, no, it's actually in contrast to the, this, the conversation about elder right in front of it, and that the idea is this is anybody who's not an elder, someone who's sort of younger in faith. Um, any, anybody who is following these elders, you recognize like if you're going to make it, if you're going to stay strong when the pressure's on, you can't go off on your own and expect to be able to handle all of this. You've got to stick together. And doing that means, you know, even though you say, well, hey, my, my church isn't perfect or the community around me, there's faults in the different people. Say, so even with all of that, uh, we, we stay strong in unity together and we follow the leaders God has put in our lives. And all of us have those, right? Even those of you like me in the church building right now that you have a title of leadership, you're still being led by other people as well. No, no one is an island to himself. Uh, all of us have people that we follow as our example, all of us have people that are pouring into us so that we can pour into others. And it's when the persecution comes that we need, to, we need that in our lives more than ever. So just when, it's, just when the temptation would be to detach from the community, not be a part of church, you know, scrub the name Christian from all of your media or whatever, that's when you need it the most. And so you say, Lord, help me to be strong in that moment of pressure that may come. Hey, the next thing that we have to do is have humility in every church relationship. Look at the end of verse 5. All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. I, I can't imagine, personally, what it would be like to be in a situation where the authorities were actually out to get us as Christian believers. But I can imagine that it would bring out the worst in some of us, maybe a little bit in all of us, right? We, we wish it would bring out the best, but it's also going to bring out lots of strong opinion and lots of disagreement and all sorts of reasons to assert ourselves and to try to take control. And here the calling is, in the pressured moment, dress yourselves with humility as you relate to each other. Like, we'll have to be a family together and to care about each other more than we care about ourselves serve each other's needs more than we have to serve our own needs. Think of each other's uh, desires more than we're just thinking about our own desires. That's the kind of humility Jesus demonstrated. That's what we're called to in every time, but even more when the pressure's on, that's when it will bubble up to the surface and we have to live that way or we fail in this test. Okay, the sixth verse talks about humility in our attitude toward God. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You can imagine what it would be to be a first century believer. Your name is being run through the mud. You're constantly being ridiculed by the culture around you. Everything is aligned against you. you, you you're kind of looking for vindication, for justice on your behalf. The instruction here is, hey, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. 
The powers of this world think that they're powerful, but don't worry. Humble yourselves under the power of God. He will lift you up in honor at the right time. So you keep looking forward. You know, when, when I face different pressures in my life, and I'll say I haven't, faced, I haven't faced significant persecution, thankfully, in my 42 years of being on earth so far. When I have faced pressured situations, I know one of the things that helps me get through it is knowing that it's going to end pretty soon. Now, some of you who faced pressures that don't seem to be ending soon, you know, so maybe like an ongoing health challenge that's probably not going to leave you, that's a different level of having to face a challenge, right? Because if you have an end date, you can say, well, I'll just, I'm going to swallow hard and sort of power through this tough time and we'll get to the other side of it. But when there's not another side of it in this lifetime, it requires a whole other level of faith. So imagine this, these were not people living under Roman persecution with the expectation that it would be over anytime soon. This was like the rest of their lifetimes. And then history tells us it went on for you know, another, a, a solid 200 years from this point forward, there was significant persecution throughout the empire. So these were not people who were kind of dreaming of liberty on the other side of a great struggle. These were people that had to make peace with the fact that they were going to be in the struggle their whole lives and they would probably lose their lives, their friends would lose their lives in that struggle. In that moment, will they still be faithful? And that's when you have to humble yourself before God and say, God, I, I can't fix this. I don't have the power to fix this. So I'm going to trust in you instead of trusting in myself. Okay, the next one is in our handling of all that worry that would be attached to that. Look at verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. And once again, I run into this verse and think, well, I've thought about that verse a lot in my life as an American um, and thought about like my sort of the worries that any of us would have about our life, money worries or relationship worries, things like that. But in context, we're talking about a whole other level of worry. So think if you, if you were here in this moment, what would you be worried about? You, you might be worried, literally, if they're going to come and take you away or take your kids away. You might have had neighbors or relatives in faith who had already been taken away or people that were, you know, you, you, the persecution is there at your doorstep. In that moment, cast your worries to God. Instead of trying to hold it all and in pride trying to solve these impossible challenges on your own, you hand it to God. If you think of it this way, worry in a, in, in a I don't know, kind of an indirect way, worry is an expression of pride. Because worry would presuppose that somehow you can work out a better solution than what's going to happen. So you're concerned about it, you're thinking about it, you can't let go of it. Humility allows you to let go. Humility allows you to look up to heaven and say, Lord, I, I can't control any of these outcomes. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't fix these problems. So I give this to you, all these things that I'm tempted to worry about. And Lord, I'm going to trust you to carry me forward in my life instead of trusting me to work it out. And then the last piece is humility when it comes to our spiritual alert status. Verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. It's interesting. A lion doesn't walk up to its prey, some gazelle or something, and just kind of wave and go, hey, I'm here to eat you. 
What are you going to do about it? No, the lion, what does, how does a lion hunt? It sneaks up, right? It hides in the grass. It hides in the common things. And all of a sudden, before that, that prey even knows it's in trouble, bang, it's already got the cat is, you know, on its neck or whatever. And we've all watched those terrible nature shows where you see the big takedowns from cheetahs and all that. So you imagine that and you go, okay, the devil is crouching out there, lurking out there, aiming to destroy me and you. And, and the devil's not going to announce himself as the devil when that happens. It's, go, it's going to be something where you've got, you have to be the one paying attention. This doesn't come with some neon sign like, hey, trouble's ahead. No, you have to be watching and being very careful. So again, in humility, you're saying, Lord, I don't, I don't have the strength, the resources to know how to deal with all this stuff. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you and I'm keeping my eyes wide open as I walk through life. I think these verses teach us to take life seriously, uh, to not let the, the temptations of the world or the trials of persecution sidetrack us off of what God has called us to do. So we say, Lord, I, I know I've got to stay alert. I know that in this life, the trouble is coming and the temptation is coming. So help me to be strong in the face of that. Help me to use your strength to defeat that. Verse 9, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Which is a helpful thing to think about, right? I mean, if you believe you're alone in the trial you're facing, it can be really discouraging and deflating. But when you start to realize, wait, other people are facing this, other people are staying strong, there are others out there who are living the life of Jesus and they're walking on the same road and even though they're paying a great price, their faith is strengthened by it. Lord, would you help me to be just like them? So when Peter writes this, we recognize that if you could imagine you know, some sort of Mediterranean ocean or sea map, you kind of think about all the Roman Empire, you know, Spain all the way over to... Israel, that, that, kind of the, all the, you know, Italy is in there, North Africa is in there. That's when, the, when he's saying all over the world, that was their known world. So that's where the persecution was happening. It was happening all over the place. Everywhere they could think of, there was persecution. There wasn't some sort of, you know, America to flee to somewhere to find safety from it. It was just wherever you were, if you were trying to follow Jesus, you were under pressure. It's interesting to think about where we are today in the world and how little has actually changed. So every year, Open Doors is an organization that makes a list of the 50 most dangerous countries in which to be a Christian. Um, of course, every, in every place in the world, there's like a little bit of danger as you follow Jesus because people aren't happy with Jesus followers. So, the, so where are the, first, the, the top 50 most difficult places to be as a Christian? Uh, this is the 2021 map. Uh, and you can see the darker areas there are the, where it would be more extreme. Um, it was interesting. They said that this was the first year that they had published this map. They have a three, they have, usually they have three colors on their map. Kind of like sort of a mild persecution, significant, and then severe. And they said this is the first year when, based on the indicators that they do, the top 50 countries in the world that resist Christianity are all either significant or severe. So the, the other ones that aren't colored in, there's other ones that would be where there's mild persecution. Uh, but we recognize the world is a dark place without Jesus, and there's all sorts of resistance out there. The other thing I'm struck by when I look at that map is I think about world population. 
I think really most human beings that are alive today live in those countries that are colored in up there, right? So we're not, like it's not exceptional to be persecuted, it's exceptional not to be persecuted as a Jesus follower. So you and I have something that a lot of people and probably most Christian believers who are alive right now don't have. And that's freedom, to talk about this, to pray about this, to openly communicate about this without any sense of personal risk. Um, And so here, when when Peter says, your brothers and sisters all across the world are going through the same kind of suffering, I'm struck by this thought that for most Christian believers, they could read that verse and it would literally be true for them. But when I read it, it's just theoretically true. Because I'm not going through the same kind of suffering that most of them are. So it's humbling to consider that. Now, the next part of this text I want to walk us through because I think it can give us encouragement. And if you say, I I want to stay strong, I'm willing to start with humility, how, how do I think about this? How do I go forward? The reason humility is so important in your strength to face persecution is because the strength that you actually need is not going to be your own. You're going to have to have God giving you strength. And the only way you avail yourself to that kind of grace is through humility. So now we read about the strength that God will give us and the perspective he gives us. In his kindness, verse 10 says, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So you just freeze right there. You say, even if you're going through terrible persecution on earth, if you zoom up from that and you look at your life in reference to eternity, Is it a kind thing that God has invited you to be a part of his family? Well, absolutely, right? Even if you have to suffer a little while on earth, is it still, like, would it be, is it kind of mean that God was saying, like, hey, you need to become a Christian and still pay all these terrible prices on earth? Well, no, because the the glory so outweighs the, the price on earth. It's God's kindness has invited you to be a part of all of this. So even if you have to suffer for a little while, you recognize there's more coming. He will restore, support, and strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. In a world where the power seems to all be flowing the wrong direction, this reminds us, wait a minute, the power is actually all God's. And God's plan for me spans way beyond this lifetime and whatever struggle is right in front of me. So just to help maybe personalize this a little bit, I changed a couple of the pronouns, and I thought maybe we could read this together. Not just thinking about the believers in the first century, or believers in some other country from where we're sitting right now, but just think about our lives, and how this would be true for us. So if you're willing to read out loud with me this text again, I'd love for you to join me. Here we go. In his kindness, God called us to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus, So after we have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen us, and he will place us on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. So you're in a tough situation, you feel the persecution coming, you remember, wait, God is going to strengthen me for this. God has a plan that is beyond this thing that's right in front of me. Now, we could take it one more level of personalization. I want to have us read it one more time, but this time, don't read it about us, the church family. Let's read it about you. 
In his kindness, God called me to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after I have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen me, and he will place me on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Now, like I mentioned before, it's kind of hard to picture what it would feel like to be in a persecuted situation. So what I want to do is show you a video that was produced by Voice of the Martyrs, which is an organization that tracks Christian persecution and helps get aid and encouragement to Christians around the world who are in difficult circumstances, uh, where they've, they've stitched together a couple different things. One is a historical narrative and some drama from the life of Richard Wormbrandt, a true story of someone who faced persecution both from the Nazis and from the communists when he was in Romania. And he had multiple times in his life where he had to make the ultimate decision and make it over and over again. And, uh, and the story that we'll look at in just a minute illustrates some of that and I think brings it, helps us make it a little bit more personal as to how this might feel playing out in our lives. Uh, today is actually the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so churches all around the world have set aside this day to pray for all those believers who are under persecution, and we'll do that just after this video. So let's watch this. In 1940, Nazi forces invaded Richard and Sabina Wormbrand's home country, Romania. There were no safe spaces for Jews. And though Christian, Richard and Sabina were ethnic Jews. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua 8. I am. I'm kind of afraid. They are asking to see IDs. All our lives remaining. Now we're Jews only. Christian, really? Show me about the Christian party again, right? Dă-te la o parte, știu că ascunzi evrei aici. Puteți să vă uitați, dar nu e niciun evreu aici.
whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We believe this or we don't. Richard and Sabina, like many Christians during World War II, had a choice. Lay low and hope the worst passed them by, or get involved and be the hands and feet of Christ, all at great personal risk. I think we have to stay. We have a job to do. If they are coming, then they are coming. Let's not think of them as enemies to be feared, but rather as a mission. Like Sabina and Richard Wormbrand, today's persecuted Christians, living in hostile areas and restricted nations are bold witnesses for Christ. Choosing to give up their comfort and safety in this world in order to find a life that counts for eternity. The first request from our persecuted Christian brothers and sisters is, will you pray for me? As we pray for them to endure opposition in order to advance the gospel, may we be inspired by their example to pay any price necessary in obedience to Christ. So let's take a few minutes to pray um, about that. I just want to ask you to begin with some silent prayer, just to process and pray the Lord what he might be saying to you right now. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters across the world who have decided to follow you, even when that decision would mean persecution. We pray that you would strengthen their souls for the challenges that are ahead for them. We pray that you would strengthen their hands for the work that you've called them to do, some of which will cost them perhaps their life or perhaps a variety of other things that they may have to give up in order to fulfill their mission. 
I pray, Lord, that you would give them your grace, that you'd fill them with exactly what First Peter has taught us about, humility and perspective and a sense of eternity, so that they can be strong for whatever storms might still lie ahead for them. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we read this book of First Peter and want to take it personally. Lord, we want to be the sort of people who obey these truths and live this way before the pressure's on, not because of the pressure. So I pray that you would give each one of us direction in our own lives and perspective in our own heart for what you want us to do and how you want us to change. So in just a moment of silent prayer here, I would challenge you, my friends in this room, just to pray and ask God, what does he want you to change? Lord, would you give us the strength of heart and of faith to take the right next step? And even as we look at a world that is filled with darkness and where there is resistance, the same as what you faced when you were here. Help us to see that world not as an adversary, not as our enemy, but instead as our mission. And in that spirit, we want to leave today shining your light into every place that we go. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, well, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Until then, stay strong.